Welcome to the Infrastructure Show. I'm your host, Professor Joseph Schofer of Northwestern University. The Infrastructure Show is designed to present to listeners the reality of America's infrastructure, its condition, why it is the way it is, and what can be done about it. We gratefully acknowledge contributions to sustain the Infrastructure Show from Dr. Robert Peskin, Dr. Raymond Ellis, and Andrea and Ron DeFeo. Climate change presents new challenges to infrastructure, and these risks are of growing concern to the insurance industry, which must make decisions about what markets to serve and how to design and price coverage. To control their own risks, insurers often provide risk management guidance to their clients. To learn about the role of insurers in addressing climate risk, we're joined by Martin Lockman, who's an attorney working at Columbia University's Sabin Center for Climate Change Law. Martin works at the intersection of climate-related threats to infrastructure, the insurance industry, and risk management. Uh, Prior to joining the Sabin Center, Martin worked as an attorney specializing in renewable energy and infrastructure finance. He earned his Bachelor's of Arts degrees from Washington University of St. Louis and his law degree at uh, Columbia. So he's returned to Columbia. Martin, thanks for joining us for this conversation this morning. Thank you very much. I'm delighted to be here. Thank you for having me. So how is climate change relevant to the insurance companies? So climate change is relevant to the insurance companies in a lot of ways. Um, I was actually talking to a really, really smart um, insurance lawyer a couple months ago, and he said something that I think was really profound, which is that the insurance market really reflects the economy. So any change in the economy is going to be reflected in the insurance market. Any change in real risk in the world and any change in legal or political risk in the world is going to be reflected in the insurance market. Um, when we we'll talk about insurance kind of in day-to-day, we often think about our own experiences as individuals, you know, maybe car insurance, property insurance, um, liability insurance. Um, but really, any kind of risk can be insured, and as your listeners know, who and operators of um, physical infrastructure know, um, there are a lot of different lines of insurance that um, go into making physical infrastructure work. Um, yeah, and uh, as climate change um, kind of changes the physical environment in which we live, uh, increases the frequency of uh, extreme events, and uh, results in you know, related political and legal changes, uh, those risks are going to propagate across um, our entire economy, and um, often that is reflected in insurance first. So can you give us some examples of the kinds of events and property damage that may be a particular concern to insurers uh, when they're thinking about climate change? Absolutely. Um, So I guess the easiest way to understand what's going on in climate change is that, you know, we basically have a lot more energy that is retained in the atmosphere, and that results in two things. First, it results in an increased frequency in kind of large... uh, natural disasters, uh, hurricanes, um, large storms, flooding, heat waves, um, things that you think of as disasters. Uh, and it also results in changes to the physical environment. And both of those things can have real impacts on infrastructure, uh, especially legacy infrastructure that was built um, kind of in a, a long time ago and might not be designed to deal with this uh, change in climate. Um, some of the physical risks are obvious, increased risk of hurricanes, increased risk of flooding, um, increased risk of kind of direct damage. Uh, there's also risk from the change in climate that's a little bit more subtle. Uh, for instance, a lot of mines are worried about the stability of their tailing dams because they were built in you know, areas where permafrost was the kind of expected ground condition. 
as permafrost disappears, these dams are becoming unstable, and there's some concern that this is going to result in, you know, uh, dam failures uh, in Canada, for instance. So there's really an array of physical risks that um, face infrastructure operators uh, as a result of climate change. What about market risks? Are, are they in the in the area that you look at? Yeah, so I um, my research largely focuses on a mix of uh, financial risk and, um, to some extent, property law and um, kind of other infrastructure-related areas of law. Um, so I'm kind of a specialist in um, financial market risk to the extent that I'm a specialist in anything. Um, the uh, And this is a really serious concern, um, and this is a concern that combines both the physical risk that I discussed about and also the increasing legal risk to infrastructure operators and designers. Um, the physical risks, to an extent, are already being considered and priced in. Um, this is something that uh, the infrastructure, or, sorry, the insurance companies have spent um, enormous amount of resources and thought on kind of modeling, kind of climate and extreme events uh, down to very, very minute detail. Um, so that is something that is kind of already active in um, property insurance markets. Uh, some of the more uh, the more open areas and the areas where insurance companies are doing some really hard thinking right now, trying to figure out how to price and model these risks, are things like uh, liability risk and um, regulatory risk that might that are serious financial risks to infrastructure operators um, and are kind of communicated to uh, their insurance companies through their. Um, you know, general commercial liability lines or specific directors and officers insurance lines. Um, yeah, so the so the array of financial risk is very broad, and it's something that um, regulators are also paying increasing attention to. Um, these are regulators both of public markets and also regulators of insurance uh, companies. Um, so insurance companies are under a lot of pressure, both direct market pressure and regulatory pressure, to um, start kind of accurately pricing these risks in their contracts. So let me jump in here because what I'm getting from this is that it sounds like insurers have the high ground in terms of anticipating and modeling and predicting the physical risks of extreme weather events related to climate change and that the new focus or the current focus is on what I'll, I'll call the less concrete kinds of, of, of risk. Is that a fair statement? That's a fair statement. I mean, and from the perspective of an infrastructure operator, it, you know, you might not be happy that your insurance company is adequately pricing your um, physical at risk, but there's a lot less uncertainty there than there, w- there was a decade ago. Um, you know, it's incredibly complicated, and it's something that there's lots of good kind of hard science research going uh, into pricing those. Um, but we have a lot better of a grasp on the physical implications of climate change than on the kind of legal and uh, political dynamics. Around. Yes. So it, it, it sounds like it's a, a relative ad- advantage because what I'm thinking is that if insurance companies really have a decent capability to anticipate the future, are the rest of us listening to them, talking to them, or getting the same kind of information? That is, do they know more than we do about those physical risks? I think that the insurance companies are ahead of the rest of the market when it comes to pricing physical risk. Um, and there are actually really serious consequences to infrastructure operators who don't listen to their insurance companies on the changing physical risk. Uh, this is a situation where there's actually a um, large uh, case arising out of Hurricane Harvey where an infrastructure operator was, and that I can get into more detail if that would be interesting to your listeners, where an infrastructure operator was given very specific warnings by their insurer um, as a result of their insurer's risk analysis. But based on their own experiences operating the site for decades, they 
kind of ignored those risks and uh, resulted in a uh, factory fire and chemical plant explosion. Well, so I, I do want to get into that because the specifics sometimes educate us about the general. There are two parts to that I'd like to pursue for a moment. One is this notion that the, and, and I mentioned it in, in the introduction, but you're the, the expert on it, this notion that the insurance companies are advising their clients about the nature of the risk, in effect, to minimize the risks for, for both. So is that a, a kind of ongoing conversation between insurers and clients? Yes, absolutely. And um, that happens both in the process of issuing an insurance policy where the insurer will kind of make a risk evaluation and then um, price their uh, price their policy based on that and might have risk recommendations associated with that. Insurers are also operating, are offering a lot of uh, consulting services related to risk evaluation, especially in scenarios where they're not quite sure how to price the risk um, because they're still ahead of um, a lot of other industries in their risk analysis capacity. Um, so you might end up having a situation where insurers come in, they say, you know, this is not a risk that we can issue a policy on, but here's our evaluation of the risk to you based on all of these internal models that we have. So is there a, a second part of that conversation where the insurance company might say, but if you do this to protect yourself, then we may jump back into that market? Yeah, so that's something that the, um, that is true in the um, physical risk context. Um, there's a, again, just because the kind of risk prediction into the physical con- uh, risk context is a lot more developed. Um, and there's a lot less uncertainty because you're kind of ultimately dealing with physics rather than dealing with legal systems. Um, but Or so, so we might think, yes, but okay, I get that. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Um, the, at least physics doesn't get into moods. Yeah. Uh, yes. Okay. I understand that. So what I'm hearing is that in effect there is or there can be a collaboration between the insurance company and the insured about these kinds of physical risks where the collaboration might lead in the direction of uh, ways to mitigate that risk b- before an event happens. Absolutely. Absolutely. And actually uh, there also can be uh, productive collaborations between insurance companies and the insureds on the legal and regulatory risks as well. Um, there is increasingly um, clear guidance on how companies should be considering and evaluating these risks. Um, my only hesitation is that I don't know that those conversations are happening as frequently as they should, and I do not believe that they're being... Um, I, do, I don't believe that any insurance companies are going out there and kind of directly pricing in um, legal risk in a kind of comprehensive way for climate change-related legal risk. Um, there, but the, for the physical risk, though, just stick to that for a second. Absolutely. Um, those conversations are absolutely happening. And actually, the um, chemical factory um, issue that I described earlier is a very good example of what that process might look like. So, you, so the the client or the potential client uh, chose not to follow the advice. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. So it was a situation, um, and all the details that are here are coming from a kind of after-accident report by the Chemical Safety Board. But it was a situation where a chemical facility outside of Houston was operating in an area that was identified as a floodplain. The insurer came in, inspected the facility in 2016, and produced a report saying, you know, you're in this floodplain, here are some risks, here are the kind of physical risks of your facility, and, you know, here's an insurance policy related to those physical risks. Um, so they didn't tell them what to do. They just said there's a risk. They, so they provided a risk analysis, and um, I don't have actual detailed uh, – I don't have a copy of that report. Okay. Um, 
But it, they did flag the risk, and they flagged the um, kind of a set of areas that were particularly at risk of uh, flooding. And that report kind of got shelved in the main office um, and didn't really make its way to plant operations. Uh, so when Hurricane Harvey hit in August of 2017, um, the plant prepared based on their kind of ordinary hurricane preparation uh, plants. That meant they had on-site, uh, they had on-site staff who were there overnight, um, and they moved some chemicals around. They made some kind of weatherizing uh, efforts. Um, however, the flooding associated with Hurricane Harvey was far beyond what any of the employees who'd been working at that site for decades had seen and had been expecting. Um, as a result, uh, there were kind of a series of failures uh, to refrigeration systems, and as a consequence of uh, the shutdown of those refrigeration systems, uh, there was an explosion that spread kind of hazardous chemicals across a large part of the county surrounding the chemical plant. And so am I getting it that eventually this came to litigation? Uh, so there has been a large amount of litigation around it. Um, part of that litigation was from the county alleging that the chemical plant hadn't sought proper uh, licenses after being notified that it was in the flood zone. Uh, and there were also a series of private settlements. A lot of the disputes around insurance uh, claims don't ever hit courts, um, and so they don't come into the public. Oh, so they, they're resolved outside the courts. But apparently there was a conflict between the insurance company and, and the insured on the issue of what advice was given and what advice was taken. Exactly, um, exactly. And that was a situation where the insurance company's assessment of the risk, because they have these kind of sophisticated internal models of um, climate risk, was a lot better at predicting the actual risk than the experience of people who'd been there for decades because the kind of climate was changing and the risk was changing. Yeah, so they had the capability to look at the dynamics. So in fairness, what's interesting to us in this podcast is not so much, well, how, how was this resolved? But the fact that you've got the existence of a collaboration between the insured and the insurer, where both have a, an incentive to manage down the risk, and the insurer seems to have high ground in terms of uh, the ability to look ahead and anticipate what the risks really are. Yeah, and that's something that um, the insurer has a high ground in its capacity to assess the risks, but at the same time, they're selling products on a market. So... Um, well, they're monetizing the risk. Am I right? Is that a fair way to say it? Well, exactly. Um, but at the same time, you know, they're competing against other insurers. So um, the things, things move forward by leaps and jolts um, as, uh, you know, insured the kind of pressures of, you know, uh, being an insurance broker, selling a product to a company and wanting to have a you know, well-priced product versus being an insurance broker who wants to accurately price the risk so that, you know, they don't get hit with a claim on the back end because they've mispriced this. Um, that's, a, that's a tension. Um, but absolutely, the insurance companies are out there providing very valuable uh, collaborations to companies. And I think that's only going to increase as, um, the, as there becomes kind of more clear guidance on how uh, infrastructure operators can manage the legal and regulatory risks. So I'm just speculating, but is it possible that I've sne if I sneaked into a, a scientific conference on climate change, I might find somebody from an insurance company who's trying to share knowledge and gain knowledge? That is, working in not just a, a kind of a managerial capacity, but a scientific capacity. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and the Saban Center on the legal capacity, uh, we're, we're uh, cooperating with uh, and partnering with um, the Willis Towers Watson Research Network on a few discrete projects trying to understand the landscape of legal risk. Um, so their insurers are very, very active in um, the 
kind of scientific conversation around climate risk, as well as the legal and political conversations around climate risk. Because as I said earlier, insurance is a, reflect, is a reflection of the real economy and all of this risk eventually flows to that. Yeah, so I'm beginning to see why you were attracted to work in this area because it's interestingly complicated. Let me take you over in the direction you started earlier and talk about the, I think you talked about financial and legal risk, liability risks, DNO insurance, uh, directors and officers insurance. Yes, absolutely. Um, and that's actually an area where these collaborations can be really productive. This is, a, this is a situation where identifying the risks and creating processes to identify the risks can not only mitigate the cost of liability, but it can also avoid the accidents in the first place. These are scenarios where uh, because companies are operating infrastructure, and at times, you know, decades-old infrastructure that was designed for previous generations and previous conditions, uh, in a changing environment, um, the way that they integrate risk identification processes um, and the way that, it, that those risk identification processes operate to actually mitigate physical risks um, can, can avoid a lot of the costs of these accidents. Uh, an example that is on the top of everyone's mind are the um, uh, multiple uh, generation facility uh, failures uh, in the, I think it was Winter Storm Uri in 2001 in Texas where there was just a kind of conclusion that a lot of the facilities and a lot of the grid had not been weatherized appropriately uh, for that kind of a deep, a deep freeze. Uh, but the same thing happens outside of Texas. Uh, earlier, or late in 2022, um, four substations operated in kind of northern and western New York uh, failed because they were improperly weatherized. They were partially open to deal with heat waves, but because they were partially uncovered, they were, you know, quickly froze and... Um, went down, and I believe 47 people died in that power outage uh, as a result. Um, and so creating processes internally in the governance of infrastructure projects and in the way that infrastructure um, designers and developers operate um, to kind of consider these climate risks, consider these changing uh, conditions, and design around them uh, can avoid these kinds of disasters. Uh, and insurers are, I think, going to drive that conversation because they are at the forefront of risk identification in these areas. So would you put that in the category of a liability risk that the company faced? Yeah, so that that is broadly... Um, so it's not, just to clarify for me, the liability risk mean, means the risk of doing some damage to somebody else who comes back and asks for compensation as opposed to losing your own facility. Yes, so that's a, it's a mixture because the... It's a mixture because, of course... Uh, there's the physical damage to the facility itself, um, but the consequences of that damage um, to third parties is often where a lot of the cost comes in. in. In one situation versus another, the cost balance might be different, but there's a real concern that infrastructure operators and um, developers might have some level of professional liability for um, negligence in failing to account for climate change in their plans. Um, actually, similarly, out of Hurricane Harvey, uh, there's been a series of lawsuits, an enormous number of lawsuits that have been consolidated arising from the Army Corps of Engineers operation of a dam that was built kind of to play, uh, in uh, the mid-century uh, and which just the existing operation plans 
were completely inadequate to deal with the level of flooding that resulted from Hurricane Harvey. Uh, so in they had a rule book. They, to the, as far as I know, I'm still being litigated. They followed that rule book, saying, you know, here's how long we keep the dam closed to prevent flooding yeah. on stream. If it reaches this point, here's when we have to open it and start releasing flooding. They followed that rule book, but it was just completely inadequate for the physical reality that was happening. And as a result, an uh, enormous number of properties upstream and downstream of the dam uh, were destroyed. So, so how does the insurance company jump in and advise or take some action to prevent that in the future? So that is a, that is a real question, um, and it's an area where the way that I think this is going to shape out, and this is the way that it's shaped out in other areas of insurance, like, um, for instance, well, a great example would be uh, kind of cyber terrorism, uh, where the focus is not necessarily on predicting specific physical events, but on evaluating the risk processes that the company and the infrastructure operator or infrastructure designer, designer is applying. So the questions that might be asked there are, you know, is there an explicit consideration of climate risk? Are the models that you're using projecting or, you know, tied into the latest kind of um, climate research and tied into the latest weather prediction? Um, do you have internal kind of mechanisms to report uh, these risks up the chain of command. And so the way that these can really be mitigated, just speaking generally and not specific to any one infrastructure, is by um, changing the governance processes to kind of very explicitly be looking for these risks. Um, and that's ultimately what people are going to have to do um, because the, you know, we can get into kind of physical details of any one system, um, but broadly the regulatory pressure and I think the market pressure is going to be to adopt risk management policies and protocols and systems internally um, that are kind of capable of dealing with a large variety of risk. So if I could restate this back to you in a more general sense, what the insurance companies are concerned about, both for their own point of view and for their clients, are you watching out the front window for the kinds of risks and risk changes that we're seeing and taking some reasonable action as opposed to keeping the shades down and hoping for the best? Uh, that's exactly right. That's exactly right. Um, and we're actually getting a, we're starting to get some very good guidance from governments and from uh, risk monitoring agencies and governments about how companies can go about doing that. Um, what I would say the kind of best guidance that I have personally seen for just simple questions that operators can be asking themselves uh, was issued by the Canadian Securities Administrators in uh, 2019. Um, they issued a kind of series of guidance about uh, reporting uh, climate change-related risks, and they were talking in the context of publicly traded companies, but a lot of the questions that they're asking there, um, you know, how is risk incorporated in your strategic planning? Um, is the management, has the management implemented any effective systems and procedures and controls to gather data? Those kinds of questions um, apply in the private sector and in the, the privately traded companies, publicly traded companies, and government operations as well. Yeah, so that it's uh, not everybody does the same thing, but the, the strategy ought to be a, or can be a shared strategy. This is amazingly interesting. It's totally different than what, what I expected, which is a reason for us doing these podcasts, so maybe I can learn something. Martin, it's been a most interesting to talk with you. I've learned a lot. I got a lot more to learn, but I really appreciate you spending the time and educating us on this important topic. Thank you. It's been a real pleasure speaking to you. I love your podcast, and I'm uh, very, very happy to be here talking about this topic. Great. Glad to have you with us. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to The Infrastructure Show. If you enjoyed the conversation as much as we did, 
please subscribe to our podcast and encourage your friends to join us too. The Infrastructure Show is recorded at the Studio Media Recording Company in Evanston, Illinois, under the direction of Scott Steinman, recording engineer with a commitment to great sound. Our producer is Marion Sowers, a journalist with a passion for infrastructure. And I am Professor Joseph Schofer. Few people are more curious about infrastructure than I. <laughs>